When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swallow your pride, there's nowhere to hide What would you decide when it's on the line? If it's do or die, would you compromise? Or would you stand through the storm and roll with the tide? Would you be the one to fight or the one to hide? You can never touch the sky if you don't try to fly Rocky roads, but we stayed unshakable Been through it all and we still unbreakable What is up guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast My name is Ashley Horner, and today I have an extraordinary guest on. Today we are joined by the founder and CEO of the Fit Body Bootcamp and the best-selling author of Man Up, How to Cut the Bullshit and Kick Ass in Business and in Life, Bedros Koulian. I hope I'm saying your name, your last name right, Bedros. Super, super awesome guy. I'm so excited to have him on today. So much experience. This guy has been through so much. He was born into a communist country. His father planned, fought for years to get his family out. He left Russia at the age of six, got to the United States, spent years dumpster diving, combating the gangs and the violence. And he is now a billionaire. He gives back so much love to humanity and just such an awesome, awesome individual that I'm really excited to bring him on and to have you guys listen to our discussion. Bedros, welcome on to the Reborn Podcast. All right. All right. Bedros, thank you so much for joining me on the Reborn podcast. It's truly an honor to have you here with me today. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Hey, I want to talk about, I want to talk about your childhood because your, your childhood is very interesting. So you were in Ru- uh, Russia, is that correct? Yeah. So you were yeah. born Former in Russia. Soviet. And, Former Soviet uh, Union. Yeah. Yes. And your father was a part of, um, he was a part of the what do you call it over there? The The communist party. And, but he got out and you guys, you came to America. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about your childhood a little bit and your foundations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a pretty interesting childhood. I always say I'm kind of like the Cinderella man because imagine this. So we were from Armenia. Armenia was a part of the Soviet union at the time. And of course, communism was in power. My dad was a member of the communist party. However, he hated everything about communism. He accepted um, the invitation into the Communist Party because if you don't, you're banished to Siberia and never to be seen again. And so he reluctantly accepted that. And for six, seven years as, as, as a Communist Party member, we lived in Armenia, in the Soviet Union, but all while he was planning on us escaping into the United States. He spent years making money on the side uh, to bribe government officials in the Soviet Union. And a family of five of us, uh, myself being the baby of the family, I was six years old. We escaped into Italy. Uh, From Italy, we went to the American Consul, and we spent 10 days there where they pumped my dad for information, everything regarding communism and Communist Party in the Soviet Union. And then 
on June 16th, 1980, we legally entered the United States. And my dad said this to me and my brother and sister. He said, as long as you guys serve the people in this country and add value to the people here, this country will be good to you. And I think being the youngest, I just believed everything my dad said. He was my hero. And so why wouldn't I? And so I just decided I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to understand the culture. I'm going to fully assimilate. I'm going to add value. I'm going to solve problems. I'm going to be good to uh, humanity. And um, hopefully I'll make a lot of money and live the American dream that we've heard about. And so, of course, when you come to a country like this, you're not just given opportunities. Things aren't just handed to you. You know this. And um, so we lived in Section 8 housing. We were broke. We were poor, government-assisted, eating out of dumpsters that we would find behind grocery stores. And these dumpsters had foods that were expired, mm. uh, so they couldn't sell it at the grocery store. So my dad would lift me up into the dumpster. I'd pick out the foods, hand them down to him. Um, and we, we had a pretty pretty tough upbringing the first three, four years in the United States. Moved around a lot. You know, I went to three elementary schools, two junior highs, two high schools. But all of those trials and tribulations, uh, being beat up by gang members in town who, you know, I was the foreigner. I had a funny haircut. My mom dressed me weird. Uh, we spoke at a different language. So you can imagine I stand out amongst all the uh, black and gang uh, and Mexican gangs here in Santa Ana, California, where I was raised. And so until I made friends with them, I was their punching bag. And so but I, I would change none of that because all of that taught me three specific things, resiliency, resourcefulness, and to have this relentless attitude of going after what I want, no matter what. I love that. So I want to talk about your first podcast that you had, your very first podcast, um, The Rules of the Game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lay out the foundation here. What are your six rules then that you learned through your upbringing and the trials that you went through? That's a really good question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to specifically pull them up in the order that I have them, if you don't mind, okay. because uh, I want to give you the rules of the game exactly as they are. So, so the rules of the game are this, and I always, and I, and I believe it should always be in this order. And if you think about it, life is a game. And if you know the rules of a game, you have a much higher probability of winning it. And so for me, in my 48 years of living on this planet and having every weird, crazy ass experience that I've had and going from being poor and broke to being massively successful and rich and blessed, I've realized these are the six rules of the game. Rule number one is to choose purpose over pleasure. It is very easy to lean into the vices of pleasure, alcohol, drugs, infidelity, pornography, overconsumption of food, whatever it might be. But you must always choose purpose over pleasure because when we lean into pleasures and we begin to avoid our life's calling, our life's work, our purpose, that is when humans begin to suffer with anxiety and depression and shame and guilt. And that is what we're seeing now. Life has gotten so comfortable and convenient. There's so many pleasures available to humanity that people have gotten completely uh, displaced in terms of purpose. Rule number two is that action alleviates anxiety. It is normal to feel anxious at times. It is normal to be overwhelmed. But understand that action alleviates anxiety. You can't just dwell in anxiety and depression because it will consume you. You must take action against it. Rule number three is how you do anything is how you do everything. Uh, and I truly believe that. Like 
how I train my body in the gym is how I, I run my business here is how I maintain my relationship with my wife and kids is how I manage my bank account. Um, you know, you can't be a fat slob and then think that you're going to be successful in a marriage or in a, in a business or whatever, because truly the same traits that allow you to be fat, sick, depressed, and sloppy are the same traits that will bleed into a screwed up marriage and a screwed up business. And so that one is very, uh, powerful. When I tell people how you do anything is how you do everything. They're like, Oh my God, I get it. That's groundbreaking. Uh, number four, never negotiate with your inner bitch. I am convinced that within all of us, there's a critic and there's a advocate. Uh, and I think that's there by design. God, the source, higher power, put the inner bitch and the inner advocate within us, uh, or the beast, the bitch and the beast or the advocate or the, and the critic that inner bitch is really good at trying to get us to negotiate our dreams and goals away. That critic is really easy, uh, great at saying, look, it's okay to sleep in. It's okay to not, not lift that hard today. It is okay to not eat as clean as you want and does really good with influencing and persuading us to take the easy path, to take the path of pleasure. Um, and, and I always say, you know, just never negotiate. It's a, it's a non-negotiable. We don't compromise with our inner bitch. And, and by not doing that, you begin to develop a personality of discipline instead of just how do I feel today? Uh, if I feel great and motivated, then I'll take action towards my goals. But if I don't feel so great, if I mm -hmm. don't didn't sleep well, if I had a rough couple of days, then maybe I'll listen to my inner bitch and just take shortcuts, right? So number four is to never negotiate with your inner bitch. Number five, don't be allergic to hard work. Uh, very simply said, you can have anything in life that you want, but you must do the work that is required to have those things. It is simple as that. So don't be allergic to hard work. And number six, having a bad day does not mean that you have a bad life. And I say this because uh, far too often people will make permanent decisions on temporary feelings, Ashley. And uh, we have to just realize that if I'm having a bad day, I might even have a bad week. I might even have a bad month. That does not mean I have a bad life. And I'm not, I'm not going to put the gun to my head or I'm not going to make that decision that's going to be so permanent and damning to the future of my life. Um, and if people can just, just live by those six rules uh, to the best of their ability, I think they would have a higher quality of life and they would have greater uh, purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. So the reason why I wanted to ask you that, you know, I know it's so powerful. Um, and those are like six attributes that everybody can, can lean on and, and that can, that can work towards. But the boy that you were describing just a few minutes ago, getting food out of a dumpster, you know, with your dad, how, how are you this man today? Because those are two different people. I, and I just have to ask, I can only assume the answer is no, but I really want to ask, did you ever want to go back home? Did you ever want to go back? Were you like, this is not what I signed up for? Was it ever to a point where you like, we're, we're going to die out here? Or did you ever think that? No, because home was just as bad. I was, mm -hmm. you know, being six years old, I was old enough to remember standing in line in snow, like outside with my mom for hours, only to get to the front of the counter at a convenience store. And they were out of bread. They were out of butter. Out of, oh. They were out of essentials, right? Water was rationed. Electricity was rationed. So I, I probably wanted to go somewhere else yeah. other than back home. Yeah. But 
certainly not back home. So actually retreating was never an option for me. And um, so it was like, you have to figure it out. Going back to what you said, you made a really good point. You said, how did that boy become this man? Well, you know, I follow you on, on social media. You, you keep your body very lean, very jacked. I'm guessing that 20 years ago, um, did you have the same physique that you have now? I've, I've had to work towards it. Yes. Every day. It's been a constant work. Yeah. Right. And that work is on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You work your muscles, you work your nutrition, you work your mindset. And just like that, this mindset that I've developed, my, my character, my emotions, I treat them like a muscle. I train my muscles of mental, my mental muscles, my emotional muscles, just like I train my chest and shoulders, arms, legs, back, whatever. And I develop them over time. So I, did I have discipline? Was I born disciplined? Absolutely not. I was the most pleasure-seeking man on the planet growing up as a young man. However, I developed it just like we can develop muscle through the work, through the consistency, doing it even if you're tired, not looking for motivation, not looking for excuses. But people fail to realize that everything, all these traits that we need in life to succeed are muscles that we can develop over time and through repetition, just like you've developed and I've developed my body. So how did you get into, what was your very first business that you opened and how, <laughs> and how old were you? This is where I want to try to like start bringing this together. So we have the yeah, the boy yeah. and then uh, do, do you, do you have any of your, like the mindset that you have today? Is it because you saw your father fight so hard? I mean, he spent years developing this plan, right? I think that yeah. this is another thing, you know, just, just like business. I think it's so easy to see people at the top, right? It's so easy to be like, it must be easy, you know, like they made it, but you don't understand like what happens, like what is below the surface that has been developing, right? The foundations, the plan, the preparation, nobody sees all of that. So I'm wondering, like, do you think that any, any, any contribution to who you've become, was it because of seeing all of this kind of unfold with your father and and wanting to fight to, to get what he wanted was to get out of that communist country. Yeah, that, that, that was a big factor because seeing him struggle to raise money, uh, like I knew what was going on. Like I, you know, there, my mom and dad would mutter and mumble together and talk about how much money do we have and when are we going to do it? And I, I kind of had an idea that there's this big escape coming. And in fact, I can tell you a time, there was a time uh, probably about six months before we escaped, two men knocked on the door right as it got dark, maybe around, you know, 7 p.m. So, so, uh, they knock on the door. They're in suits. My my dad lets them in. Uh, I later find out they're KGB agent, the equivalent if the FBI knocks on your door, comes in. My dad lets them in, speaks to them in Russian, and says, uh, you know, how can I help you guys? And they said, well, we're here. We just need to search your house. And what they were searching for was evidence that led them to, that would lead them to believe that we're going to escape. Wow. And uh, my dad was really good at hiding everything. And so they found no evidence. Uh, they lined us up in the hallway. Me, my older brother, older sister, and my mom and dad. And uh, we're just, you know, standing against the hallway wall. And my dad's speaking to them calmly and saying, hey, you know, look over there. Look wherever you want. You can go into the rooms. We lived in a little, you know, two-bedroom apartment in Armenia. Afterwards, they couldn't find anything. My dad, being very diplomatic and being very good with persuasion and influence. Uh, and I always knew that about my dad. He, he had the gift of gab. He had a sweet tongue. Um, and so... He said, look, gentlemen, you guys went out of your way to come all the way here. And it would be a shame that you left without me making you an offer of something. So 
can I offer you a bottle of vodka that we can drink together? And vodka is a very Russian thing. And so, of course, they sat at the kitchen table, my dad and the two KGB agents, and spent the night drinking vodka and telling stories. The rest of us are just like huddled up in the the little room back there. Right, right. Can you imagine that? So when you see your dad going through all that work, when you see your dad making so much effort to create you know, a different life for his mm-hmm. kids and mm-hmm. to be able to, to will, to, to risk his life for a country that he believes in. Like that man listened to Elvis and the Beach Boys. He wore Ray-Bans and Jordash jeans in Armenia. He bought them off the black market, right? So he was American before we ever came to America. And so because of that, his work ethic did transfer. You know, I think Ed Milet says it best. He says, some things are caught or some things are taught and other things are caught. And I caught a lot of my dad's work ethic Mm. uh, just by virtue of being within his proximity. And I think that's been a real big blessing for me. So when did you decide that you were, you're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to open up my first business because you have, you have multiple different avenues of entrepreneurism, which is what I love because I have lots of different things too. And it's incredible to watch you. One of your biggest ones is your, your, the Fit Body Bootcamp. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Was that your first one? Because I think that's originally how I found you through like the gyms and the the training that you did. Yeah. So so that was my first big business that popped off and put me on the Inc. 500 list and Entrepreneur Magazine's fastest growing franchises and all that. But truly, my first entrepreneurial endeavor was at the age of eight. Oh, and, okay. Uh, you're going to love this story. Now, you live in Virginia? Yes, sir. All right. Do you guys have Ar- Arby's out there? Uh, yes. All right. So then the story will make sense. Now, when we came to America, the first American food I tasted was an Arby's roast beef sandwich. Now, I came from a country where we had no fast food. Food was hard to come by. Now I got to eat this Arby's roast beef sandwich. That's my favorite sandwich at Arby's. There you go. Myself (laughs) as well. So I tasted that when I was six years old, and I never got a taste of it again because my mom had to, you know, I think the guy that picked us up from the airport, who was a friend of a friend of my dad, We stopped by Arby's. We got an Arby's roast beef sandwich for all of us. And then he brought us to the apartment complex we were going to live in. Um, After that, I wanted an Arby's roast beef sandwich. However, we didn't have the money. So I I found this dumpster. Remember, I would dumpster dive for food. I found this dumpster that had posters, like ACDC posters and, and KISS posters that they had thrown away. I dug out all these posters, rolled them up and put a rubber band around them, put them in a box. And I would put them on the sidewalk and wrote 50 cents on the box. And I would sell a poster for 50 cents. So now if you're an eight-year-old, cute, (laughs) foreign kid with a bowl haircut (laughs) selling posters, I would make just enough money to go buy a roast beef sandwich. I'd close down shop and then go buy the sandwich. And that was that. So necessity forced me to become an entrepreneur. And then it taught me that, well, I can get the hash browns. I can get the soda. I can get two roast beef sandwiches. And before you know it, I realized that there are strategies to things. And uh, thankfully, as I grew up and kind of got into the fitness space, uh, a mentor put his arms around me and mentored me into becoming a real true entrepreneur. Uh, but that was later in my 20s. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about, you know, getting into entrepreneurship um, because ev- ex- you are an expert at your field. Um, and I also want to talk about right now and the times that we're in. Uh, you've been doing this for a long time and I would love to know, um, I have many small businesses as well, but for the young entrepreneurs, just entrepreneurs, business owners in general, who are seeing tough times right now with the economy, tough times, keeping their team together. I mean, we've been through, we've been through it all as business owners. 
what what is some advice that you can give um that you can give that you can put out there for people who are just wanting like anything that they're really just feeling like they're struggling right now sure sure so i think some of the best advice that i can give to a young entrepreneur and it doesn't really matter what category of business they're in uh this is going to be applicable uh, advice number one, and this might sound contrary into what I'm doing, but I'll explain why it's not. While I have several different businesses, I have seven different companies and six other companies that I'm invested in that I have equity in. Every single company that I have has a leader in it. I don't run the companies. I'm the visionary. Each company has a CEO or a vice president, and then they run the day-to-day. Very much like Elon Musk. He doesn't run Tesla. He's got a CEO. He doesn't run SpaceX. He doesn't run Neuralink. He's the visionary and he's got a leader and a team uh, under that leader who do the work. But my first company, Fit Body Bootcamp, I was the CEO. I built it. I got it to a place of, of 500 locations. And then I brought in a VP, groomed that VP to take my seat just two years ago as the CEO. And now I could step away from Fit Body Bootcamp and 700 plus locations and growing now. And so the best advice I can give is, Develop mastery at one thing before you diversify in a lot of things. Um, These days, because of social media, it is so easy to get excited, let the idea fairy come and go, all right, I'm going to sell supplements and T-shirts and and write a book and start a franchise. You can do all of that, but develop mastery in one arena and then take those skills and then multiply them across other brands and other arenas, other industries. That's thing number one. Thing number two is every person should understand that you can, most people, especially young entrepreneurs, they overestimate what they can achieve in one year and they underestimate what they can achieve in five years, five years of consistent, disciplined, focused work. Uh, And I get it. The world now, we have short attention spans. And so I want results by tomorrow. I made 10 Instagram reel posts. I didn't make a million dollars onto the next thing. But everyone overestimates what they can make in a year. They underestimate what they can make in five or 10 years of focused work. That's another thing. Also, understand that the bigger the problem that you can solve, the more money you can make. We are at the end of the day, whether you have a product or a service, we are in the problem-solving business. And if you can solve a problem, and the more sophisticated and complex that problem is, the more money you can demand. And so just those three things alone, developing mastery, sticking to something for five years, and really realizing that the work and the efforts and the results compound over years, and then knowing that if I just go sell a widget, then I'm competing against everyone else who sells a widget. Uh, For example, when Apple created the iPhone, they created something so unique. And Steve Jobs said it. He said, if I left it to society, he said the phone would still have a hinge. It would still be hinging, a flip phone of some sort. So everybody else had the same flip phone version, some version of a flip phone. This motherfucker went and created something so elegant, so beautiful, that our imaginations would never even fathom. And he created the iPhone. And he created, he solved the problem. Because he put the phone, the Palm Pilot, and the internet into one elegant, beautiful device. And the problem was so sophisticated that he solved that we have all adopted this one thing, even though there were other phone manufacturers well before Apple. And so that's a great example of that. And if people can do that one thing, and then I guess if there was a fourth thing, be patient. Like nothing good ever comes quickly. And if you can be patient, if you can exercise entrepreneurial patience, 
uh, tactical patience, uh, then you will get the outcome. But if you are impatient and you want the results now and you didn't get the results, so you're going to move on to the next thing, you always find yourself at the starting line, frustrated, never having made any progress. I like all that. Really good advice, even for me. So I super appreciate that. What is the project that you have? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so back in 2018, I wrote a book called Man Up. And Man Up is really like who man up. You know, I, who, I went did you say book. who who man up? No, or, no, no. I, I wrote say? a book. Oh, it, Man Up really is to human up. Human, human up. up. Gotcha. Human, human up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So people go, man, is this a book for men only? I'm like, no, no, no. Human up to your highest potential, like man up. level up to your highest potential. Yeah, level yeah. Up. Um, so actually more of my customers that have bought my book have been women than men because <laughs> women just naturally read more books, men listen to them. But anyways, in my book, I talked about how, when I started to get more disciplined and develop my leadership skills and leadership, like all the other skills is a muscle that through repetition and time you can develop. When I developed my leadership skills, one thing that helped me was doing hard physical stuff for six weeks at a time. So I started taking on these six-week challenges. The first one was a six-week challenge to train for and run the San Diego Marathon. And then I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the ring with a pro MMA fighter. And so I'm going to train with one for six weeks, three times a week, and then get in the ring with one. And then jujitsu, and then rock climbing because I was afraid of heights. And then mm. I live in California, but I, I was afraid of the ocean. So I was like, train for six weeks and just become the best surfer you can be. And now I love to surf. It's been seven, eight years that I've just become this amazing surfer, uh, longboard, not shortboard. So all this to say that when I did these six week challenges that were physically demanding, I not only started to break beliefs and limiting beliefs and break through these glass ceilings that I had set for myself, but like anything else, how you do anything is how you do everything. Different areas of my life improved. And so I talked about it in my book. And these men started to reach out to me when they were buying my book, when my book launched in September of 2018. Dude, you got to put together some kind of a six-week challenge for us. I'm like, bro, I don't know what to do for you. Like, I explained what I do. Go hire a coach. Do a challenge. Well, you know how it is. When enough people DM you and send you messages, you go, maybe there's something here. And so I remember talking to one of my friends. He's an MMA fighter, and he, at the time, worked for me. And I said, hey, Aaron, um, I think there's something here. But I wouldn't want it to just be a physical challenge. I would want to also pepper in personal development, you know, um, breaking through traumatic beliefs that they've had, maybe traumatic in situations. Like I was molested as a kid back in Armenia and then came here and I was beat up and bullied by gangs. And so I grew up very angry. In my teens, I was carjacking and doing home invasion robberies because I had a chip on my shoulder, Ashley. So uh, it was in my 20s late 20s that I started to really realize that I've got trauma and I need to either process through this trauma or it's going to take me to my deathbed very quickly. Um, and so I said, if we can put a, put a challenge together for these guys that helps them address any traumas, focus on self-development, become a better man. Before you know it, we had created the four pillars, faith, family, fitness, and finances uh, that all men need to focus on. All right, well, we got that. And I said, but, you know, I can teach the life discipline, the work stuff, the the business growth. Um, and yeah, I'm a personal trainer, but I'm not the guy that's going to yell at them and make them pull the truck and go in the ice bath and crawl through the pit. I need like an angry Navy SEAL. I kid you not, the very next month, I'm speaking, I'm keynoting in Miami and my friend Jason Redman, I know you know Jason Redman. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, I think I was coaching Jason Redman on his business. He goes, hey, I want you to meet this Navy SEAL. His name is Ray Cashcare, former Navy SEAL. And uh, 
he works for the CIA, but he's looking to do something different. I'm like, dude, can you run fitness programs? He's like, yes, I can. Oh, how weird. My phone just went off. And it Jason was Redman. Oh, it was Jason. Jason Redman. How crazy. <laughs> he he, he knew we were talking that. about. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So long story short, I meet Ray and he's like, dude, I'm, I'm cut out for that. Next thing you know, I'm like, well, we need someone else. We find the, the Marine who has been my coaching client for three years. I'm like, hey, Steve. Any chance you can come out and do this? He goes, actually, I've been meaning to move from New York and come to California. So before you know it, I've got the instructors in front of me. We've got this 75-hour experience planned out that's part physical, part mental, emotional, dealing through trauma and and, and developing this brotherhood. And the project became that. And, and so when Ray, Ray goes, uh, he goes, sir, how much do they pay for this thing? I go, well, they're paying 12 grand a piece for the 75 hour experience, Ray. So we really are going to take good care of them. He goes, we're going to need a bell. I go, why would we need a bell? He goes, so that they can ring when they quit, just like buds. I go, well, this isn't buds and they're not going to quit. They paid 12 grand. He goes, sir, they're going to need a bell. So he brought one and we hung it on this two by four. And, um, sure enough, first class, two dudes quit and ring the bell, Ashley. And I was, can you explain what the bell is about? Yes. Yes. So, what is it? What does uh, that symbolize? What What was the importance of having the bell out? Like giving them an opportunity to quit, and then like saying no to that bitch voice that you were talking about, or what? Bingo. That is exactly it. So the bell, and and, and you know, I've I've watched that documentary on uh, that the the buds class that went through. Uh, I think it was History Channel or Discovery Channel, and of course, having the good fortune to have many guys from the special operations community that I've coached and mentored. Now, I've learned all about the seals and. Of course, the bell, as you know, is there and very prevalent in buds, and it's always tempting to just ring the bell and you get hot coffee and donuts and a warm blanket. And so, you know, we Ray kind of structured the physical evolutions very much like that, and the bell went everywhere to the beach, to the pit, to the to the hikes with us, and uh, it was tempting. But the idea was, and I'm always the papa bear, and I always like, hey, I see you looking at the bell. Don't look at the bell. Make it through this evolution. If you still want to ring the bell, you can ring it on the next evolution. And my goal was to take them one evolution at a time, chip away at the 75 hours. And so while we would help them negotiate their way out of talking to the inner bitch, lo and behold, you know this, when someone locks on, I'm going to quit, and that's that. They go limbic. they just like, out of my way, sir, I'm going to quit. And so, unfortunately, they ring the bell. Ray has them ring the bell three times, once for quitting on themselves, once Mm -hmm. for quitting on their team, their class that they're there with, and once for quitting on their family because they told their family, I'm going to California for three days doing this hard thing, and I'm going to come back a better man, a different man, a more evolved man, and they quit on them. And it breaks my heart every fucking time these guys ring the bell, Ashley, because I want to save every single one of them, Mm -hmm. but I also realize I can't want it more than them. And so the guys that stay, they join this brotherhood of like-minded men that focus on their faith, family, fitness, and finances. We meet up several times a year and hold each other accountable to our life goals. Uh, We have a creed that we live by, and that creed keeps us on our path. Um, And I believe that each one of these guys, as they go around talking and connecting and making friends with others, they have a greater impact and the ripple effect takes place. But the project, more than anything, is something that Keep, saves men from becoming islands, from suffering in silence, white knuckling through life, the addictions of porn, alcohol, infidelity, um, and instead puts them in a place where they can become their higher self and be h- held accountable to like-minded, um, you know, savage warriors mindset 
um, you know, like a third of our guys that go through are either police, firefighters, or former military that need a new brotherhood to belong mm-hmm, into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the other one third are entrepreneurs. And then, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they make a lot of money, but every other part of their life is fucked up. Yeah. And then the final one third, they're going through it because they're treating it like a Spartan race. And that's cool too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, they want to do something hard. See and, how hard they are. Having, yeah. No better than having an angry Navy SEAL and an angry Marine whooping their ass. And so um, that that's what the project is. And it changes lives completely. The, the ones who quit, do you ever reconnect with them? You know, we always How, reach out to them. I, I would just assume like that would be hard because I, I, I know you're probably like, you probably really care for like everybody that comes in your path. I can tell like it's your passion in your heart. I think that, and you're a coach too, you, at the root of who you are, you are a trainer, right? And I think that an attribute that coaches and trainers have is that we see the potential in people before they even see the potential in themselves. Yeah. And bingo. you see this in those people, yet they still, they still have the weakness and the vulnerability to just go up and, and to ring the bell. Do you like reconnect with them or like, what do you do? You know, it's it's so unfortunate because we make an attempt to reconnect. We invite them to come back and do the project again. Every guy that rings the bell says, I, I guess I was unprepared and I had a moment of weakness. Um, I'll come back of probably over, I don't know, 80, 90 men in the last three years that have rung the bell and quit. Only two have come back mm. and finished the project. Mm. Um, and it breaks my heart because I can tell that they now have something in their life that they started and didn't finish, and it will haunt them for a long time. And as like you said, the coach in me, I believe in humanity. I believe there's nothing different. Look, I'm a fat foreign kid from a communist country who fought his genetics, who fought his surroundings, who fought his negative mindset, and and became a decent human being. Mm -hmm. And if I can do it, I truly believe anybody can. But again, going back to the rules of the game, you can't be allergic to hard work. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is this what inspired you to create your Squire program? It is. It is. In fact, the men that were graduating the project. Did they um, have young boys? Were they like, you got to help me with my boys? Because this is where I, this, I saw you doing the Squire program. Okay. I, I have three boys. I'm a boy mom. My youngest is seven. He's about to be eight pretty soon. I have a 13 year old and I have a 15 year old. So not only I'm a very busy mother, I own businesses. I'm staying on top of my kids. My husband is gone a lot. And so I'm having to fill, I'm, I'm constantly switching from one facet to another facet to another facet. And so seeing seeing something that I believe, again, we're talking about solving problems, right? This is a problem, Bedros. This is a problem in our society of young, yeah. of weak, weak men, weak individuals. Yeah. What inspired you to do this program with the Squire program? And I want you to talk about this and, and how people can benefit from this. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. The sure. Squire program actually was really a byproduct as men graduated the project and then went back to, you know, kind of parachuted into their normal lives. 
within the next 60, 90 days, we would hear from them and go, man, my life is better. My relationship is better. Um, you, you know, what I used to react emotionally to now, it doesn't even register on my radar because I've got emotional discipline. And they would always say, if I only knew this when I was younger, right? The next words out of their mouth after saying that is, if I only knew this when I was younger. Well, also, while I'm hearing this from all these graduates of the project, I read a book when my son was turning, uh, when my son was, when my wife was pregnant with my son, uh, my wife's uncle, Uncle John, gave us this book entitled Raising a Modern Day Knight. And I read it and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm so glad I read this because it's like the playbook on how to raise a young modern day knight. And I had to learn a lot of these things. And so during the nine months that she's pregnant, I started to instill these traits within me and then started to kind of groom Andrew into a young modern day knight. Part of the book says that as a, a boy turns you know, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, you want to put him through a rite of passage, right? Like women, as, as a woman, you, you know that you become a woman from a girl because you sprout breasts and you have your period and mom says, hey, you are now a woman. A physical transformation happens like that. For men, nothing really happens when you go from boy to a, a man. It's just over time, you grow a little you know, peach fuzz or whatever. And so in all these cultures for thousands of years, the men of the tribe would take the boy and put him through some rite of passage, which is why knights have squires and the squire's job is to sword fight and clean the blood off the sword and and and, and to uh, to to watch the horse, et cetera, and then be mentored by the knight. Well, so as I put Andrew through his rite of passage experience, and I had and I took nine other guys with me to do this. We took him to a shoot house in uh, a friend of mine has has a shoot house in Idaho, um, indoor shoot house, and we put him through high stress situations, taught him how to use a gun, all those things years before. Um, and then the nine of us circled up around Andrew at the end of the day. And I said, son, you know, this was your rite of passage into manhood. You've now got a seat at the table at our house. When dad's not around, you know where the pistol is. You know how to protect mom and sister. You know how to open the doors. You are the man of the house when I'm not around. And um, so we circled around him and we started to pour into him like, hey, this is the one thing I wish I knew when I was 13 years old. And each guy like we're talking special operations guys, we're talking SWAT guys, we're talking entrepreneurs, grown men, breaking down, crying, telling Andrew what the one thing is that they wish they knew when they were his age. And um, that was very meaningful and powerful for Andrew. That was a moment that he knew that I've now stepped into manhood and I've got a different responsibility as a man. I've got to control my emotions, become stoic, take the seat at the table and, and, and live as an honorable man. And um, so as I'm Doing that with my son, and I'm hearing this from Project Graduates, the light bulb went off where I could run an experience with the same project instructors that's 12 hours long and not 75, no bell necessary. <laughs> Fathers and sons can come together. Um, in fact, this next class is in three weeks. We've got 30 sets of fathers and sons that are going to go through the Squire program uh, where we teach them, we pour into them, and at the end, we circle up and we give them the advice as young men that, that are winning a seat at the table and it's become a memorable thing for them as well. So I want to ask you a question. Is is this project that you have, and maybe you're already doing it and I just don't know, because I have uh, some gold star moms that, that are friends of mine. Is this an opportunity for you to be able to serve some of the gold star families for kids who do not have a father anymore? Because I think yeah. I've seen those honestly struggles firsthand of some of my friends who have, they've lost their husbands in combat and now they're, they're trying to raise 
boys and honestly some of them I, I, I can just see that they're just getting ran over honestly Pedro yeah. so I'm just wondering like what happens if a kid wants to come and they don't have a father because this very much sounds like a father-son thing what do you do in, in situations like that yeah very very good question and so uh, you know I don't necessarily share this on social media because I'm not the guy that's going to beat his chest about all the cool awesome things I do um, but as you can imagine when I post about the Squire program, some moms will leave a comment or they'll slide into my DMs and say, look, there's no dad, there's no mm -hmm. uncle, there's no grandpa in his life to come with him. What do I do? I said, don't you worry. I've got many friends who are in the special operations community mm -hmm. and they will stand in as a, as a mentor, a big brother. Uh, to those moms, whether gold star or not, if they can't afford it, if they're gold star, former military, anything like that, they're, they're, their sons are in it for free, no, mm -hmm. no cost. Uh, moms who simply, they can't afford it and there's no male figure. I go, Hey, just get your son to us. Let me introduce you to the, you know, like this next one, this next class, uh, you might know him, Nick Kunalopoulos, um, Kumalastos. He is a Marsoc Marine, North Carolina. Anyway, good friend, former coaching client. So these guys that I know, and I know really well, I know their families. I have them step in as a mentor and they take that young man through the Squire program. And what's really neat about that is at the, after the Squire program ends, they maintain a great relationship with that young man, uh, for probably forever. For all of it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so, yes, it, just send them our way and we will take good care of them. We've got the young men that will help. Uh, we've got the military guys that will step in for them. Yeah. Where can everybody find this information at? Like what's your website? Where can people find information about signing up? Yeah. So the best place for that is just to go to my name, bedroskulian.com and project squire program. Everything that I offer is there. And like I said, I, we don't want any young man to not have the opportunity to go through. So if money's a problem, we've got you covered. Gold, Gold star family, we've got you covered. All they got to do is reach out to me um, and we will handle it all. I've been blessed to have many great businesses that produce a lot of income and I will uh, cover the costs of anyone who wants to put their son through it, but doesn't have the means. Mm, that's awesome. Out of all of the passion projects, businesses that you have, that you have had, uh, what, what has been your favorite thing that you have done that like looking back, maybe it's something current, maybe it's your Squire project that you're doing right now because it's, that has to be really exciting because it's such a need right now. Right. But what, what I, two questions, out of the projects that you have, your passion projects yeah. and business, what has been your favorite and the one that has been the most fulfilling to you and why? Is it your Squire program because there's a lot of need for it? Has it been writing books? Because you also do a lot of diverse things. Yeah, yeah. And I think of all the different businesses and the things that I'm involved in, the project, the Modern Day Night Project, the 75-hour experience for men is the most fulfilling. And I'll tell you why. Uh, you would think it should be the Squire program because I should be saying, well, we get to help the next generation and all that great stuff. And all of that applies. But I see so many grown men suffering in silence, white knuckling through life, unfortunately, considering ways to take their own lives. And uh, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about one more guy eating a bullet. And so um, I know how hard it is in these days where masculinity has become toxic, where our own desire to want to open a door for you can yeah. be seen as you know toxic and and how dare you i could do that myself and like i don't care i go around opening doors for everyone and it doesn't matter what people say but unfortunately so many men have bought into this narrative they've lost all identity in terms of who they are 
And so when we bring them to the project and we remind them that they have claws and fangs and they are destined as men to be tribal and, and, and to have a brotherhood and to protect and provide and preside, they come back to life. And I love seeing that. They have a sense of purpose. And th that's a very meaningful thing for me. And and I, it's not lost on me that each project class that we do is a another layer of healing that happens to the hurt little boy within me. And so selfishly, I'm also helping and healing that little guy inside with each project class by being the congruent leader that I can be. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot of when you have the project, do you find that a lot of the men come back with their boys, their younger boys after they've gone through the project or is it a completely different group? Yeah. Yeah, every every single one. As soon as they have a son that's within that 13, 14, 15 year old category, mm -hmm. that age, the squire age group, they come back. Um, and then when they go, hey, I'll be back in two years with the next one, I'll be back in four years with the next one. And it's so neat to see that because now they're developing core values for the first time in their family. And they they're developing a pattern of life that they can become role model parents. And I just love seeing that. Yeah. What is one of your big goals that you have for 2023? One of my big goals for 2023, believe it or not, is to, um, to, to, to travel less. And the reason I say travel less is I find that um, my, my son now is 17. My daughter is 15. I work out with my son every night. So I do my selfish workout by myself every morning because it's, you know, that's therapy. It's physically good for me. I work out with my son every night. Then we come home, we play ping pong. Then as a family, we play um, uh, cranium. Um, we, we just do so much together as a family that when they were younger and I would go on a trip, they wouldn't miss me because they were attached to mom. But now in this age group, you know, they're driving and we're driving together. And for some reason they, they think I'm a cool dad and, and I don't know what Kool-Aid they drink to think that, but I'm so blessed. And so I'm trying to milk every ounce of that. So one of my goals for 2023 is to travel less so that I can invest in what I believe is the greatest investment of all my businesses, which is my my son and daughter. Mm, I love that. Are, are you are you instilling some of the same principles that your father instilled into you into into your son and daughter? I am. I am. It's you know it's funny. Yesterday, my wife and I went and had dinner with Sean Stevenson and his wife. And Sean Stevenson runs the Model Health Show. Great cat. Um, you might want to connect with them if you want. I'll make the introduction. But sure. Um, he go, you know, he comes from the ghetto. I come from Armenia. We were both poor and broke and destitute. And so we had to scrap to become who we are. And he's like, dude, my son, he's he like, how do I give him hardship? I'm like, I don't know. How do I give my son hardship? We do, we do tough workouts together. We do, you know, we go in the ice bath together. We do, but they're never going to have the same level of hardship. And so while I try and instill as much of what I can that my dad instilled in me, I also realize, though, that they see through just by watching, again, catching what I'm doing, my work ethic, the consistency, the fact that I role model, I say who I am, and I do what I say. Um, hell, on November 12th, I stopped social drinking, and I literally, I would have like two cocktails three times a year, and on November 12th, I'm like, I'm done with that too. And I told my son and my daughter, they're like, why? Like, isn't that extreme? I'm like, no, I don't think it's extreme. In fact, I believe that for me to expect the people that I lead to bleed, I have to hemorrhage. And so this is what I choose to do. And I hope you guys can, you know, I'm doing it at 48. I hope you guys can, can do it now. Like just never let alcohol touch your lips. And so, um, you know, I, I'm modeling success the best I can, but I also realize they'll never have the adversity that I had in this country. And, uh, quite frankly, I don't want them to have that level of adversity, but I suppose they're humans and they will have their own share of adversity. 
there's a saying out here and what you've said, it, it's bringing it back and you might know it. It's um, tough times create tough men. Easy times create weak I don't yes. know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's yeah, hard, yeah, yeah, yeah. hard times. It's basically, it's, times, it's, it's, yeah. it's exactly what you're saying, right? It's like right now, it, everything is so easy. Everything is so easy to get. Nobody has to work for anything anymore, right? It's, it's so easy to just, to just do as little as work as possible, which is kind of what it seems, seems to be the trend a little, as little as work as possible to try to get the same output. Okay. Yeah, outcome. Exactly right. Yeah, and you're right. I remember that quote now. It's hard times create or hard men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. Bad times create strong men. Thank you. Yes. And uh, and, and I think we're right at that point where <laughs> we are now at good times and we have weak men. Yeah, we are. And we're we're dealing with the repercussions of it. And unfortunately, um, you know, look, we as much as I hate to say this, the world needs constant disasters and adversity for people to toughen up mm-hmm. because we're not very small people are going to David Goggins it and go out there and do hard shit. The rest of us have to be faced with hard shit sure. to be able to rise up to the occasion and hard shit is coming and it's going to slap humanity in the face in the next couple of few years. And I believe it's much needed. I'm yep. not excited for it, but I'm saying it's much needed. I have I have a final question that I want to ask you. Yes, ma'am. What is the legacy that you want to leave for oh, your that's, for that's your children? Story. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, for my children, the legacy that I want to leave is to instill in them to create 10x the impact that I've been able to create. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the other side of this laptop that I'm talking to you on, there's a bookshelf and it's got all these awards from Shriners Children's Hospital over the years, the millions of dollars that we've donated, my wife and I. Again, it's to heal the young kid within me. I've adopted Shriners Children's Hospital, Toys for Tots, and Compassion International, and we've got 97 kids adopted through Compassion International. And I do this because I, uh, I, I have, I'm very compassionate and empathetic towards kids who suffer. I've suffered a lot as a young, young, young man. And um, I've also healed. So I'm nowhere, I'm not a victim and, and I've rewritten my story. Uh, I'm the fucking hero of my movie. I can tell you that. And um, But I can tell you that the impact that I've had on humanity will pale in comparison to the impact that Andrew and Chloe will have because they've been instilled these traits that I have, that my wife has at such a young age. They are just servants of humanity. So the legacy that I leave for them is the high level of personal development that they have and, and how they, like my son in kindergarten was like, Hey dad, there's a little Chinese kid. He just came from China. He doesn't speak English. He reminded me of you when you were a kid. And so I made friends with him. Everybody else was picking on him. And I just started bawling and crying when he said that, like I needed that guy. I needed that little kid to come talk to me. And no one did because I was a foreigner. So for him to understand that at, at a tender age of six years old as in a, as actually was uh, first grade. So seven years old, we held them back here. Um, but but all this to say that th- their impact, because they have such an early on start, will be 10x my impact. And I think that is the greatest legacy I can leave for them. Love that. I remember probably like five years ago. Do you remember when I did the run around Haiti? Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. this? I you were you donated to that, to the orphanage that I have supported, I've continued to support in Haiti, Maison Fortune, but you donated, you donated 
a good bit of money to those kids in Haiti. And I will never forget that. And I remember you impacted me because everything that I'm about, right? I feel like this is something else that this that I really want to express to this generation. You do not have to have a massive platform. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be a fucking billionaire to make a difference. You well don't. Said. I think that we have all of these tools right here in front of us and like people, you don't, you don't understand the impact that you can have with truly just the people that are around you. You don't have to, you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to have a massive platform. You don't have to be a billionaire to make this difference, to truly care about humanity. Exactly so right. So I, um, I really, really appreciate everything that you're doing, Bedros. Like you have just watching you from afar. I mean, you and I have had little interaction, but watching you, you have impacted my life. And I will never forget. This was probably six years ago when I ran around Haiti. I don't know, four or five yeah, years ago. I, re I remember that. And, and since then, I, I have done many, many, many charity events. And I will never forget the way that you, you made me feel because I believed in those kids and I was doing something and putting myself out there. And you believed in me and the kids at the orphanage. And for that, I am truly forever thankful and grateful. And I will always support you and everything that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Um, thank so you. I just want to say thank you. And thank you so much for joining me on the reborn podcast. Is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners? So you have books, you have the project, you have the Squire program, anything else out there that they can get with you? Yeah, I think there's one more thing they can get, and that is a little checkup from the neck up, if I could just take 60 seconds to share this. Please. And, you know, in all of our lives, we've had circumstances that take place, maybe physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, maybe mom and dad meant well, but they just raised you uh, in an abusive environment. Maybe school teachers called you names and they said you weren't smart enough, that you're stupid, you're retarded, you're never going to make it. That's great, man. When you're a kid, these things happen to you because you don't have control because they're the adults, you're not, and they have the pen and they're writing in your book and you begin to believe all that shit. I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm dumb, I'm fat, I'm always gonna be this way. But at some point we have to realize as adults that we're no longer kids and we can take that pen back and there's many more pages left in our, in our book of life and we get to write how the story ends. And I've had the good fortune of doing that and it was me uh, attempting to take that pen back, heal, and start rewriting my story of how the story ends and how I become the hero, that is the difference between 1.0 foreigner kid and 2.0 somewhat of an awesome human being that I've become. And so I, I just want to leave that with your audience and I hope they can chew on that and understand that and apply it to their life. Awesome. Hey man, thank you so much. Uh, it's truly been an honor having you on the Reborn podcast with me and getting to know you. Um, it's it's an honor and a pleasure, man. So thank you so much for coming on tonight. Likewise. Thank time. you for the opportunity, Ashley. Okay. Go have fun with your family. Ping pong time I or will. something. Yes. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Reborn podcast today with Bedros. Um, listen, if this was inspiring to you, if you learned anything at all, share it on your social media platforms, give us a review. I really, really would appreciate that. Thank you guys again for listening to Reborn with Ashley Horner. Be sure to give me a follow on Instagram at RebornPod. If you are not, tell your friends about the show. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Swallow your pride. There's nowhere to hide. What would you decide when it's on the line? If it's do or die. 
Would you compromise or would you stand through the storm and roll with the top? Would you be the one to fight or the one to hide? You can never touch the sky, you don't try to fly. Rocky Rose, but we stayed unshakable. Been through it all and we still unbreakable.